welcome to the TechLink Health Podcast, an on-demand source for the top trending healthcare topics and insights, delivered by key opinion and emerging leaders and as featured on the TechLink Health app. The healthcare industry is rapidly evolving, so our goal is to connect listeners to the most relevant insights, ranging from digital health to financial well-being to interesting side gigs. For more details, visit www.techlink.health. Well, hey, everyone, and welcome back to the TechLink Health Podcast. I am Justine Reese, and I will be co-hosting this episode with Dr. Rodney Saman. Very excited for that. Today's episode is all about longevity, the emergence of superagers, and how this phenomenon will shape the wellness journey of the future. This topic is definitely 100 plus, but perhaps forever, forever and ever can enter the equation. Wow. I'm excited to talk to you about this. This episode's guest is David Harry Stewart, a globally renowned photographer and creative director, as well as the founding partner for Aegist, a marketing agency and media company that advises businesses, brands, and organizations on emerging trends, changing attitudes, consumer behaviors, and shifting cultural perspectives of the over 50 demographic to help them better understand, engage, and inspire this influential audience. The Aegist mission to be pioneers of better age is clear. Super age. Become the best version of yourself today. Well, who doesn't want to do that? It goes without saying that David has a passion for longevity and is on to something. For sure you are. And we look forward to getting his perspectives. So without further delay, we are super excited to welcome David to the podcast. David, thank you for joining us today. Uh, My pleasure. Good to be here. Good. Well, I would love for you to give our listeners some background in your own words. So if you would, please take a moment and give us a little more detail uh, about your journey into the longevity space. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I had a pretty successful photography career for about 30 years. I worked for most of the magazines. I, I did like a dozen covers in the New York Times Magazine. I worked at Hearst, Condé Nast. I did Nike, Amex, stuff like that. And then in my mid-50s, I started to notice that the people I was photographing were staying the same age. And myself and my friends are getting older. And I'm thinking, that's interesting. And I thought, what's that about? So I thought that was a little unusual. And we started out about seven years ago. We discovered why that was. We did a lot of analysis of what was going on out there in the world. First about marketing departments and where they were at, and then going on to actually doing thousands of hours of recorded interviews of people in our age group to find out what was different about them. And that that was like seven years ago. That's where we started. And since then, um, what's happened is I've really come to understand that the, the major pivot between the way people are today at this age, I'm 63 today. So the difference between me now and say somebody my age 20 or 30 years ago is their health and even more so their belief in their future health. That's the key. Because if you believe you're going to live longer and healthier, you're going to behave in a way that causes that to happen. Meaning people are starting to take into account what they're doing today with how they're going to feel 10, 20 years from now. Well, absolutely. So like, Justine, if you think you're going to be dead in a week, are you really going to be into longevity? Probably not. Uh, (laughs) It's not going to be top of mind for you. But if you think you're going to be alive for another 50, 60, 70 years, you're going to behave in a very different way. And so, so what we see happening here is this compounding effect of the 
actual behaviors, the actual science. So like people my age were the first ones to really take exercise seriously. Like before Nike, there was no, like jogging didn't exist. You know, we'd taken vitamins, we understand that smoking isn't such a great idea. And so now we have this sort of built up reservoir of health and longevity and expectations going forward. So demonstrable evidence that people are living longer and they are. So now the expected mortality of a 70 year old today is the same as a 60 year old 10 years ago. So people are living healthier, longer, extending total lifespan that gets a little more complicated, but definitely expanding health span for a segment of the population that is behaving in a certain way. And mind you, that's not everyone. So at 65, 60% of the US population has a chronic disease. And most of it is entirely caused by behaviors. People eat too much and they don't exercise enough. And that's an epidemic. But if you're in the 40% that are not in that group, you're gonna be around for a while. Have you seen that percentage change? 40%, that's not bad, I guess. It's probably stayed about the same. Probably gotten worse, actually, because there's an epidemic in this country. I would say there are three gigantic epidemics. One is people aren't exercising. Two, they're eating far too many carbohydrates. And probably the third is opioids. And you put those three together, that's what's killing people. That's that's uh, sad and true. Um, OK, so there's a few topics there at the core of the TechLink Health mission. And one is the ability to connect with experts as yourself and technologies that help meet health and wellness goals. So that we're segueing perfectly into this. Another vision is that people are living longer, as you say. And we need to find ways to not only remain physically healthy, but financially and professionally active as well, well beyond retirement age, which that age has changed, I think, dramatically. So let's start with the basics. Tell us about your work in exponential longevity. <laughs> well, exponential longevity. That's a big ask, Justine. <laughs> let's go for that is. But like, you know, <laughs> let's poke away at it a little bit. <laughs> well, I think the, the first thing to understand is that 95% of this is not like crazy esoteric stuff. It's what I call like the big rock theory, sleep. What are you eating? How are you moving? And how are you dealing with your stress? You deal with the, those four things, you got 95% of it done. That's, that's great. Now what's coming down the pipe. That is just so true. Yeah. It's so true. And people, people just, they get stuck in the weeds with like, they just want the blue pill or the red pill. And, and it's like, no, 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 no. What, what you need to do is get on a spin bike. That's like, <laughs> that's what you need to do. But, but what you're saying about sleep, I think that we do devalue, you know, you're like, why am I feeling so tired? And you're realizing, especially when women get to a certain age and menopause hits, that is a sleep inhibitor. And there's things that we can do and routines. And, you know, I have noticed a huge difference when I take the time at night to prepare for my morning routine. Right. Don't crash the plane. Everybody's crashing the plane. You need to land the plane. Land the, pl the plane is your brain. You need to slowly, slowly land the plane. Don't crash it because you're going to wake up at two or three in the morning. It's not good. You know, you, you need a sleep program. You need a sleep program the same way you need a food program and an exercise program. You guys can't see me, but I'm harding that all over the place. That's so true. <laughs> like, if you don't have yeah. sleep, you're going to gain weight. You're not going to recover from exercise and you're going to get, you do it long enough, Alzheimer's, dementia, all kinds of stuff. So you need a sleep program. And one of the things if we want to talk about technology. I tell people track everything because you can only improve what you're tracking. Right. So you may think you slept bad. How many hours? So 
like I've tested like all these trackers. I'm not affiliating with them with the whoops, the best one. So get yourself a tracker and it's going to tell you what your sleep efficiency is. Are you waking up in the night or do you just think you're waking up in the night? Are you getting deep in REM sleep? How much are you getting? Is it consistent? How does whoop measure that and report back to me? the info. Well, all these trackers, Apple Watch, Aura Ring, Garmin, they're all slightly different. But basically what it's doing is it's an optical read on your blood vessels, essentially. So it's able to tell at what point you go to sleep based on that and your movement. So they all have different algorithms that they use. I like the whoop because it's something like a hundred times the amount of data goes into it as the other one. So it's much more accurate. Interesting. Okay. I'm loving the sleep tracker thing because I was thinking more about just tracking the hours I'm sleeping, but you're going much deeper than that. Because I suppose what you're saying is if I find that I'm waking up at a certain time or I'm getting out of REM sleep at a certain time, there are things that I can do to help myself get back into a deeper sleep. Well, yes, that's another matter. So we're talking about two different things here. So the, the first thing I tell people about all this stuff is we have the ability to understand things now. Previously, the only instrument we had was a bathroom scale. Okay, great. That's helpful. <laughs> right. But it's going to tell you one metric, how much you weigh at a certain point in the day. That's all it's going to tell you. But if you have these sort of activity sleep trackers, it's going to tell you how much time you're sleeping, what your sleep efficiency is. And that's the thing you really want to know, Justine. So is your sleep efficiency 85% or 95%? And I'll tell you something else. If you wake up in the night, don't look at the clock. Don't look at the watch. Don't look at any of that because it doesn't matter. Tell yourself you're gaining rest. There is a restful benefit by you just laying there and just lay there. Don't turn on the TV. Do not turn on your phone. You're just going to shut off your melatonin. You don't want that. Just lay there and, you know, okay, you're having sort of a rough night. You know, call me after the podcast and I can tell you like five things to do so that that won't happen. Um, but if it does happen, take care of it that way. Um, our listeners may want to hear about that, but I know Rodney's got some <laughs> questions for you. So we'll get back. We'll jump back to that. Go ahead, Rodney. And this is Dr. Spawn Rodney. There's so much to talk about, but I do agree with David. And the more I read and talk to patients, the more I realize that probably the, the most important, if you had a rank on it, probably sleep is the most important. I find myself speaking to patients more about sleep and nutrition and exercise than even medications nowadays. Like medications, like almost like routine. You need maybe a few meds to keep your blood pressure under control or maybe not. But I tend to uh, start uh, talking more about sleep and sunlight during the day and darkness at night and sleep hygiene and other things related to that. But I want to hear more about the technologies that can power 100 plus. Right. Okay. You got to take care of the four big rocks first, because like I said, it's sleep, diet, movement, de-stressing. Those are the things that if you have any one of those out, you're not going to make it to 100. Other things are going to happen. You guys know, like the biggest killer in America is heart disease of some kind. So you're eating the wrong stuff. You're not sleeping. So get that stuff done right, first of all. And the technologies are really somewhat simple. I tell people like it's all about testing and tracking. So you need to understand what's going on in the same way. Like you probably know how much money you make every week. Like there's certain things that, you know, there's certain metrics that everybody knows. They know like how much their car costs. They have no idea what the macronutrient breakdown of what they're eating every day is. Zero. The first thing I tell people is you need to eat a low glycemic diet. You, you gotta avoid these glucose spikes. And they just look at me like, what's that? 
Well, that's just key. Understanding that if you want to go further with it, you get yourself a continuous glucose monitor. You plug one of those in your arm and you see what specific food does things to you. One of the things you see, like, you know, the blue zones and all that stuff, what you're seeing is people who have a certain genetic makeup combined with a certain microbiome because they live in a certain place and it's optimized to eat a certain kind of food, which will cause a certain biochemical reaction within their body. If you or I eat that, maybe it works, maybe it doesn't. For instance, white rice spikes my glucose. Sweet potato French fries don't. Very similar carbohydrate, but the only way you know that is you plug one of these things in your arm and it'll just tell you. I love Amy's frozen pizza. Makes my blood sugar go crazy, so I can't eat it. I'm a layman. I'm a layman. So when you say plug it into my arm, what does that mean? How do I plug it in? Do I have to inject something into my arm? What am I doing? <laughs> I need to know. Yes. So this is probably a little bit advanced but interesting and useful. And I don't think most people right now are going to be able to do that. But there are continuous glucose monitors out there. Dexcom is one of them. And there's some shorter duration ones like Freestyle Libre, which basically have these micro needles that you barely even feel, but they end up under your skin, under your capillaries, and they actually are sampling blood. And Bluetooth enabled on an iPhone device or their own device, and they will tell you sugar in real time. And that's what Dave is referring to, which is amazing. I don't know if it's for everyone, but I do agree with you, David, that certain foods like I've heard some prominent podcasters talk about like raisins, for example, and everybody kind of knows some people don't what good food is. I've actually written a book on fiber, cardiovascular disease and Obviously, when you talk about low glycemic index foods, you're also talking about high fiber foods in general. But at the end of the day, we can go into nutrition and stuff. But I think that David's points are correct. Getting more fiber, less sugar is the right key. Who knows? Perhaps in the future, it could be like a little patch that goes on your skin. And it's not through insurance. Right now, it's mostly through insurance, although you probably could get your doctor to, to order one. But I don't know if most people need them. But I'm assuming, David, you have one. Yeah, I just told my doc, write me a script for a, a continuous glucose monitor because I just want to know. So I got one. I got a Libra. I used it for two weeks. It was fascinating. The thing that I like about all this, so what we're talking about here is really personalization of nutrition. These things are rather primitive at the moment. But as we're moving forward, I know another company that's working on something similar that works on radio wave frequencies. So the elements that in your blood are monitored through this device, and it'll tell you what your blood glucose is or anything else that's in your blood, like immediately on your phone. So where we're moving here is personalization and optimization of not only what you eat, but also how you exercise. That's the main benefit of the trackers. Yeah, it's going to tell you about your sleep, but it's also going to tell you about your exercise recovery. So what's your resting heart rate? What's your heart rate variability? Things like this, which will let you know, should you hit it really hard today or do you need to just go for a gentle walk? This is something that I really emphasize to people that we are all N of one. There is nobody like us. We all have very specific genetics, very specific microbiome, which by the way, changes like every few days and very specific behaviors. And so sort of generalizing to people what they should or shouldn't be doing. Yeah, you can sort of hit the general thing, but if you really want to know, you need to dial it in. And if you're asking me about what the future is, where this is going, telehealth has massively changed the way people interact with the health system. So. 
There's much more telehealth. When I go in to see my doc, I use Inside Tracker, which gives me like 43 readings from my blood. I actually just got my blood work today. So I go in, I, I say, hey, here, here's what I got. This is what the app's telling me. This is a little out of range. What do you think about that? Do you guys know that like, if you go in and you get a physical, your insurance won't cover your vitamin D level? That just seems insane to me. I was going to ask you about insurance because the cost of these things. What are we talking about in order to take care of myself? Some of the things you mentioned, you know, we'll cover them sometimes, it sounds like, depending on the situation. Yeah. Insurance is like a whole other, like, yeah, don't get me going on that. You know, you would think it would be in their interest <laughs> that we live better, longer, but um, <laughs> not always the case. Um, preventative maintenance, right? Preventative maintenance. And it's like all of these things, they just provide a dashboard to your body. And I tell people like my car has a speedometer. It lets me know how much gas is in my tank. I can't drive my car without this. You know, yeah, I can, you know, do whatever with my body, but it works a lot better when I know what to do when, like what to eat, all these sort of things you personalize and you dial it in. And then my doc will eventually just be getting an alert that says like, oh, you know, David's blood sugar just crashed to 50. You better like call him up. <laughs> What's going on? Um, it's going to be like that. And you kind of already alluded to this, but let's talk about the future and how super aging will change the relationship with healthcare practitioners. I'm already seeing this patients bringing in like their cardio, emailing me or texting me through the portal, cardio monitoring of their heart rhythm or different kind of technologies. There is a risk there of oversupplying practitioners with data. And I think that's one thing that TechLink Health wanted to help out with is um, aggregating that data. I think that's a really interesting point. You know, as we go forward, I do a huge amount of tests of all kinds of stuff. And the idea of having an overarching algorithm that like collates all this and then can understand that, I think would be great. Um, to, to my knowledge, there's some companies that are approaching that, but you're right, more, more testing leads more data and somebody's got to like deal with it. And maybe this is something that we can go to your blog or something about, but I would love to know for the layman, and I'm going to consider myself somewhat of a layman, though I'm very physically fit. I don't do any of this monitoring. I grew up in a athletic household and I know I eat well and I exercise and, you know, maybe that's working out pretty well for me, but how much better could it work if I started doing a little monitor? I'm curious. I want to start doing it. So what would be the first thing to do? I mean, sleep seems like a great place to start, but is there anything else you'd recommend? You know, the cheapest best thing, the best bang for the buck, get yourself a polar heart monitor. The dumb old school ones that go around your chest. People will talk about, well, you need to do like 45 minutes of zone two aerobic training for your cardiac health. You don't know what zone two training is unless you've got a heart rate monitor. How is it impossible? Every athlete I know has one of these. And then they're more expensive, advanced versions of these things. But if you just get like one thing, get that thing. Great advice. That's great. So our whole societal framework is built on people dying at a certain age. You already talked about this. So now how will superagers disrupt the status quo? What implications does the future age of longevity have with regards to the future of work? Oh, my God. Huge. This is where we're going. Human lifespan has extended at about three years per decade since like 1850. But it's kind of a straight line. It's kind of linear. You know, you get a war, it goes down, you get antibiotics, it goes up. But it's basically a line. But we're now at the point of something very different happening. So we're now moving from organ repair to organ regeneration. And this isn't sci-fi. This is like really Sounds happening. Sounds like it to me, but okay. <laughs> it's not. If you look at the work of 
Morgan Levine and David Sinclair, there's a very famous article they published a couple of years ago in Nature about when they crushed a mouse's optic nerve and they went in and activated the underlying DNA and repaired it. It's like mind blowing. So I've spoken to Morgan. That stuff's real. That's happening. Um, so imagine somebody who's 90 having the same mental acuity and physical abilities as somebody 45 today. That's, that's where we're going. So that person, think about their economic output, think about their consuming, think about the effect on the tax base. You see all this like scary stuff, like the Wall Street Journal and all this stuff. It's like, oh my God, the population time bomb and you know, social security, all that. There's another side to this. If we're leaving longer, healthier, that has a tremendous impact on like the cost of housing. People aren't gonna be dying. They're gonna be living longer. So that housing isn't gonna turn over that's interesting. So there's going to be a huge amount of disruption there. And I think that combined with things that are happening with Meta is also going to have a tremendous impact on how we work. And one of the primary drivers for new healthcare ecosystem is the raising cost of healthcare and accessibility at a global scale. When you think about the future of healthcare with regards to the quality of treatment and cost, what role does longevity play? How will that change in the future? That is such a good question. And I wish I had a firm answer to that because the vast amount of medical spending happens in the last year of somebody's life. That last year is still going to happen. <laughs> so far, <laughs> no one's evaded that. Yeah. So that's still going to happen. Does it happen at 90, 100, 120? It becomes interesting. And then what are the costs associated with that? That's a big question. Well, take a health policy perspective. From a Medicare or insurance perspective, ideally you'd live a long time and then just drop dead. That's right. That would be right. the most ideal way. I think most people would love that actually, but unfortunately that's not what happens. And it's not very nice for the people that are left behind, but you're right. There's this feeling of, you know, if you don't have to have those last years. It sounds cold and you don't get to say goodbye, et cetera. But. I just lost a friend and you made me feel, you made me feel a little bit better about it, but she was probably really happy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I deal with cardiac. I'm a cardiologist. I do some primary care and sudden cardiac arrest is a tragedy in many ways because it's a life that could have been saved if the right tools were in place and monitoring. But I've also had old patients that have said to me, I want to die in my sleep. And lo and behold, they've died in their sleep. And I've thought, well, this is beautiful. I mean, the wife was happy and she was crying, but he one of these patients was like that. And I would say there's a lot of patients as they get older, think that way, you know, they don't mind that kind of death. I probably had two patients recently. One was a COVID patient and the other one was just heart failure, but they just passed away and there's no healthcare dollars associated with that in, in some respects. Um, I tell people, if you want to know how to live, have a vision for how you want to die. So do you want to die in a hospital for a year plugged into tubes? I don't. My view is that at 96, I would like to be hiking in the Alps and die of a massive cardiac event. Done. But in order to do that, I have to be in the right shape to be able to hike in the Alps at 96. I need to have the right financial means to have manifested that. That's how I look at it. You know, you brought up this very basic thing of sleep, which I'm so glad you did. It touches me personally because I've been really giving it a lot of thought lately. And I noticed even this week when I had one good night's sleep, how different that day was the next day. What are some other simple things that a healthy person can start to activate 
to keep this in mind that I want to live how I want to die, basically. And I want to be happy and that mental component mixed in with our physical health. Um, well, it's again, really incredibly basic. Figure out how to sleep. <laughs> I can tell you there's some like simple things to do. The bottom line is don't surprise yourself at night and you'll sleep better. Eat a low glycemic diet. Exercise hard. What are some What are some good foods for low glycemic diet? Can you just lay it on us? Uh, yeah, like any green vegetable, anything cruciferous. They're great, right? Spinach, broccoli, cauliflower, Brussels sprouts. Eat as much of that stuff as you want. Great. You hear that, listeners? That's good. And along the lines of sleep, there is a great podcast by Samer. I believe his last name is Hatar. He's the head of circadian rhythm at NIH. And you can probably find it. I think it was under Huberman Lab from UCSF. And he spends two hours talking about sleep and circadian rhythm. And that's the bottom line. I think what David is referring to is you want to kind of set that circadian rhythm between night and day and sunlight and early in the morning. He talks about it and getting it in your eyes or not wearing sunglasses in the morning, walking in the morning and then at night darkness. And then there's some other things he talks about in there, the cold temperature in bed. You don't want the temperature to be 80 degrees. And personally, what I recommend is not eating late meals. And there's this little breathing thing you could do. It's called 470. It's a very uh, easy way to kind of stimulate your vagus nerve, which is basically sort of the parasympathetic system that slows you down at night. Basically, you take a breath for four seconds, hold it for seven, and then exhale for eight. And I've actually used that many times. And I know most people tend to wake up in the middle of the night, and I thought it was just me. But I think what it happens there is multiple things. Some of it could be stress, but some of it is just your bladder's full. And so if you drink a lot of excessive water at night, you're going to wake up to pee because you're not going to wet the bed. So basically... Your brain is telling you to wake up and go to the bathroom. So I recommend people not overdo it with the, the fluids late at night, and that may help. And if you do get up, as David said, if you were to turn on the lights and go to the bathroom or kitchen or turn on the TV or look at your phone, what you're basically doing is shutting down the, the whole circadian rhythm and the melatonin. So those simple things really make a difference. And I'm seeing patients, including myself, who maybe had a bad night's sleep who, as you mentioned, just don't think straight. And then when they're sleeping well, they're fine. And, you know, these patients would come in with anxiety and depression and just irritability. And that all goes away. And I know that because they're calling me less often. And usually that's a sign that things are going well. We shouldn't just necessarily prescribe something to sleep. We should take exactly. into account all these wonderful methods. And there's meditation apps that are there for us to hear. Um, that breathing exercise really works too. Oh, yes. I've done that. That's fabulous. Um, well, we could talk a lot longer, but... In closing, any final recommendations for those interested in staying connected with you and also to the next wave of innovations within the longevity space, David? Uh, yeah, well, you should listen to the Super Age podcast because we have those kind of people come on and tell us what's going on. Awesome. You should understand the difference between hard and impossible. And one of the dangers of getting old is we have a tendency to overly embrace comfort and understand there are two kinds of stress. There's adaptive stress response, which is what happens when you lift weights, you ride a bike, you cut down on your feeding, you get in a sauna, you get in a cold bath. This is good stress. You want that. You want to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. There's another kind of stress, which is chronic stress, which is 
bad, 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 but they're not the same thing. So it's not impossible to live a very long time healthy, but it requires priorities and it's not easy. <laughs> well, that's why we get to tune into your podcast and learn more about how to make it maybe not easy, but normalize it, I guess. That's, that's a better word. I love that word, normalize, yes. Let's normalize health and wellness. Like, let's not make it an outlier. Why is it only 40% of the people? Why can't we flip that? Totally. Yeah. Is there any predictions that we should look for in the next three to five years in terms of longevity? I think what you're going to see is sort of initially at the high end, the high income folks, technology seem to be coming in. They will be the early adopters. But I think in 10 years, you're going to be seeing everybody being monitored in a much more accurate real-time way so that their health is personalized. And I think that this idea of organ regeneration is going to make what we're doing in medicine now, I'm not going to slam your professions, but it's like, it's going to be, it's going to just seem primitive. I agree with you. There was that recent uh, case with the heart transplant, with the pig transplant. That was fascinating. Yep. Didn't work out, but it will. I think it went okay for a while, but I think I read it ultimately didn't. But, you know, you remember the first heart transplants, all that stuff out of South Africa. Remember that? Like 1970s? Uh-huh. uh-huh. That, the first few didn't work. And then now organ transplant is, is still a project, but it works. Wow. That was great. I'm going to go get a bunch of monitoring equipment now. <laughs> that was great. That was great, David. Thank you. Thanks yeah. so much. Absolutely. Justine, I'm just going to give you some quick tips about sleep, right? Yeah. I think I probably know most of them. It's just whether I do them. You just got to like do it. Temperature is right? big. Temperature is big. Well, yeah. I like it cool. Is that what you mean by temperature? You want the temperature to decline. If you can, get it to decline through the night. So you get in bed. It's like 68, 69. Get it to fall to like 64. And then at like five or six in the morning, get it to ramp up. So that's going to signal your body about sleep. The light thing is so, you know, as soon as you get up in the morning, just go outside and look at the sky, like boom, the blue light, that's going to like immediately shut down your melatonin and it's going to start the cycle. That's the trigger for when you go to sleep at night. That's like the go button. When, as soon as you see that blue light in the morning, your body says, okay, 16 hours from now, go to sleep. So that's important. And then stay away on the contrary from blue light at night. Now, what I said is don't surprise yourself. What I mean by that is... <laughs> Um, anything like for me, I have really good hearing. So I wear these things called Bose sleep buds and I hear nothing. And so like I go to New York, I go wherever and I'm just like out, like it just doesn't happen. Um, so, and also wear a sleep mask because your eyelids are a lot thinner than you think they are and they will receive light. So if there's like a street light or a car goes by, your brain's going to register that. And you don't want your brain to register that. You want your brain like out. Um, those are David's sleep tips. And don't. Don't, don't get any blue light filter glasses. <laughs> You're against those? Actually, I didn't know much about them, so I didn't have an opinion. Yeah. But when I listened to that two-hour podcast about circadian rhythm, he explains why. Because you, you're actually filtering out more than just blue light. Ah. And you need, you need that light, actually. Yeah. Everything seems simple until you talk to an expert that really understands it. And then, of course, I think I know what you're going to say about this, but what about prescription drugs to help you sleep? You're not sleeping. You're not sleeping. You're being knocked out. <laughs> yeah. Okay. There's a difference There's between that being answer. knocked out and sleeping. <laughs> Is melatonin considered a drug in that context? Hormone. So you're not even down with that either? Melatonin is a tricky one. So that's another like super personalized one. Like 
I know people that take like huge amounts of it, like 10 milligrams, 50 milligrams a night, because they feel it helps their immune system. If I take more than like half a milligram, I'm like drunk for a couple of days. I don't metabolize it. It doesn't work for me. It's also one of those things, since it's an over-the-counter thing, you have no idea what dosage you're getting. It'll say something and it's like, says who? <laughs> so right. I would just be careful. Yeah. All right. This is awesome. Thanks, guys. That was a lot of fun. Thanks for listening to this episode. TechLink Health is a healthcare advisory platform for consumers and organizations to stay informed with the latest insights while connecting with healthcare experts for telehealth, e-consults, and consulting services. For more details, visit www.techlink.health.